Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. This edition of the PK Podcast was supported by Gemline. Gemline keeps you on trend, on time, and on budget with four product launches a year and inspiring seasonal trends. They offer a broad selection of products to fit any budget. Their brand partnerships with Isaac Mizrahi, Bobble, Brookstone, Igloo, Moleskin, Lamy, and Zebra provide more exciting branding solutions than ever before. Please be sure to visit their website at gemline.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of Common Skew and Right Sleeve, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Larry Cohen, president of Axis Promotions. We have a very special episode planned for today as we sit down with one of the founding fathers of the creative promotional products agency, Greg Washer of Clean Fun Promotional Marketing. A bit of background on Greg here for you. Greg got his start in the promotional products industry in 1982 when in college he designed a t-shirt for a fraternity event at USC Sigma Chi. The shirts were a hit and a business idea took root in young Greg's mind. From those humble origins, Clean Fun has grown into a $26 million company by staying focused on a set of core values that include creativity, customer service, and a commitment to company culture. In 2013, Greg sold his interest in Clean Fun to Delivery Agent, where he now acts as president of licensing and consumer products. Delivery Agent's technology allows viewers to engage with and transact directly from advertisements and television shows through web, mobile, and TV. Indeed, this is a very complimentary move for an entrepreneur who got to start selling physical goods. In today's podcast, we'll speak to Greg about his experience growing a multi-million dollar business from scratch, expanding into a different business, and what it's like to sell your company. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Larry, appreciate it. So why don't we get started with an easy one here for you, Greg. Do you want to give us the quick history? I know I mentioned this in my introduction as to how you got started in selling frat shirts for colleges. But give us a little bit of history as to how that initial idea grew into something so large and so successful. If you want to give us the quick history of Clean Fun. Sure, sure. I'm not sure if I can do anything quick, but I'm going to do my best on this. That When I graduated and kind of matriculated out of college, I was looking for a job, and I got one in real estate, of all things, and I was thinking I was going to be a real estate broker. And as a runner, I was making $1,000 a month, and I was working for one of the top account executives at Grubb and Ellis, and I needed to make some more money. And since I had made some money in college, I, I kind of did some moonlighting, and I got fairly lucky with a friend of mine went to go work for a entrepreneur who started the Jane Fonda workout tape. Oh. So they were looking for a logo, and a close friend of mine at USC, Massimo Gianelli, you might know Massimo name from Target, he, he then sold his company and licensed to Target. He helped me design the logo for Jane Fonda. There's a light blue in there that we were looked at a book that was a Le Mans Porsche blue. And we're from Orange County where the surf industry was, which Quicksilver and OP and Billabong, et cetera. So we put some puff ink on a sweatshirt, and Jane Fonda went nuts. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was asked to print 5,000 sweatshirts as this Jane Fonda workout tape went ballistic. <laughs> and the video market was going crazy. So 
from my grubbing all roots, making a thousand dollars a month, all of a sudden on my side job, I was making quite a bit more than that. And the biggest risk I ever took was telling my parents, who put me, you know, through university, that I was going to quit this perfect real estate job and become a ad specialty salesman. And it was very driven to prove to my parents that I could do it. And so, with beginnings with a Jane Fonda workout tape, I kind of launched into the entertainment industry. Hmm. And I had enough capital to keep, you know, growing the company to focus in on the entertainment industry. So made a lot of great relationships through Jane Fonda, and they were bought by a company called Lorimar Telepictures, who was big at the time with Knott's Landing and Falcon Crest, and you might remember the show Dallas, which they recently made a remake of the TV show and the movie. Then that kind of blossomed that I had this Lorimar relationship, and then from there, somebody left Lorimar to 20th Century Fox, and then in 1988, this relationship that I had made at Lorimar who went to Fox we worked on the first films of Die Hard and Big, which were two TV actors, Bruce Willis and Tom Hanks. And I was very lucky that those two films from these TV actors went ballistic. Hmm. So I, I started a pretty good name for myself with the product that I was doing for 20th Century Fox, and I just kept on growing and going and growing and going. Greg, I mean, I certainly hear that the entertainment business was a channel that you really focused on at the beginning. Have you always stayed focused on that channel or have you, with the growth and success of Clean Fund, did you branch into other industries like financial services, software, technology, so on and so forth? Or did you stay close to to just the studio business? Well, I would say Clean Fund's known for being in the entertainment space, right? And one of the reasons why it really is recession-proof and from a creative model, we were able to be proactive and not reactive. So we know what movies or television shows or whatever entertainment is coming out, yep. and so we can kind of get ourselves aligned to the relationships that we have there and present ideas out in front. But we have moved into other areas because we do have relationships that have come through entertainment relationships or others, and, and Clean Fund is, has employed other account executives that have found their relationships through yep. family and friends. So we have done corporate business, but primarily I'd say about 85% of our business is in entertainment. I find it interesting because we also do some business in the entertainment world, and one of the things that resonates with me is that, you know, talking about the proactivity aspect of the business because you can have some insight into what's coming out and when it's coming out. But, you know, taking it back to kind of the creative roots, the other challenge of the entertainment world is is that they're always looking to push the envelope and find something new and different, and movies and those, you know, networks are competing with each other. And just curious, I mean, clearly you must be a creative guy, and how have you built your organization to extend that creativity so that you can be proactive and really you know, deliver the success that you have to these clients? Well, you hit it on the head, Larry. I really do think that it starts with a creative energy that, and I will say I'm, I have some creativity and have some art ability, but we have invested heavily in artists and creativity in our company. So if we have 20 really good account executives. I recently counted we have seven full-time artists on staff. Hmm. And maybe a little later we'll talk about delivery agent. I'm about to hire seven new artists, so we'll have 13 artists inside our product development. And what I like to think is and when I pull into our company is that it's a smokestack of being of ideas, right? So we're, we're really just throwing everyday ideas for product launches. So as you said, the movie business or television shows, 
you know, we know what's launching and we are able to, you know, know the publicity or the marketing or exhibit relations or international or home entertainment or video or music, any of the things that come from this, and we hit those departments because of our lengthy history and knowledge of what their needs are. Greg, you know, it's interesting in this industry, there's, as you know, is an industry dominated by salespeople, either account people or at the ownership level, an owner salesperson. And your story is unique because there's not a lot of people in this industry that have invested in creative staff, whether it's freelance or particularly in-house. At what point in the growth of Clean Fund did you hit upon this idea that employing artists in-house would be a good business decision for you? Because I think a lot of people in this industry really struggle with that, and then they always fall back on product. And it's less about ideas, less about creative, and more about what's in a catalog. Well, we're working side-by-side with a lot of creative individuals. So I could give you, you know, many stories of say, the Farley brothers, and there's something about Mary, and they were very adamant that they wanted a, a hair gel, and they wanted a, a dog that, that was in a cast. If anybody remembers that movie, I mean, at the very end, Puffy the dog gets thrown out the window, and at the very end, you know, the dog's in the cast, and, and the hair gel scene is probably one of the classic movie scenes of all time. And, <laughs> yep. And, Keep it PG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But, but from a promotional side, the marketing people were going, no, we can't do this hair gel, but the Farley brothers are the talent in the creative, and they, they said, no, no, we have to have it. So many times the product that has come from the studio has come from the talent, and it's kind of outside the ad specialty world. Yeah. So in the Die Hard movie, they want to do Twinkies because there's a big part of Twinkies with the men and, and Bruce Willis's character. Or there was a snow globe we had to do with the second Die Hard, I remember, that was in the locker. So we had to create artists to create the ideas that were being generated from the films that you couldn't just open up a Norwood or Leeds catalog and go, oh, there's where I get my Twinkies or that's where I get my Puffy the dog with a cast on it. Yeah. And we still continue to, to look at things like that. The contextual side of, of entertainment is very, very powerful. And so we need artists to help design that. And there's a fine line between you know a cross pen that might work, but also you know a pen that that is used in the film and make it look exactly like that. Have you ever tried using outsource creative? Because I know that, as Mark mentioned, you know, you're a sizable company now, and, and clearly this has been part of your business model. But for smaller distributors who are listening to this thinking, how am I going to help? What's the best way for me to grow and, and be creative, but I can't necessarily afford a full-time person? Do you have any advice on terms of whether using freelance or how to find the right creative to bring their vision to life? Well, I think that there's a lot of great vendors out there that can actually work as your artists and assets. Larry, as you know, we have you know a company, and I'll just put a plug-in, named Jam Design, and, and Marie there, the owner, is extremely creative and artistic and can help your idea come to fruition. There's a, quite a bit of companies out there that have artists on staff that will help you, and you work directly with those suppliers to, to get to the, the product that is custom and interesting. I think that for the young person starting off, you can't be a catalog salesman, in, in my opinion. You have to present custom creative ideas. I think most people that are buying product will honor those custom ideas that you bring to the table. I think you'll get the higher margin. I think you'll build a better relationship by understanding the needs of your client, and they'll appreciate it. 
You know, a comment you just made there, I think, is one that some people in this industry struggle with, which is the protection of ideas. And, you know, some people will complain that they're approached by such and such a company and they're they're asked to generate ideas. And then all of a sudden those ideas are being shopped as per company policy to go and get three bids. How do you combat against that, Greg? Because if you're working with studios like the Disney's of the world, these are huge Fortune 100 companies that have got strict procurement departments that are clearly looking at cost, yet you're an idea company and an idea companies are not commodity companies. So how do you balance those two competing elements of original ideation, protecting your ideas, yet at the same time making sure that you can sell it at a price that will be acceptable to the procurement folks? You know, obviously we can never control our clients' policies, right? If their policies are that everything has to be bid out by three, it's not a good landscape. Yep. But we don't find that. We really find that by kind of approaching it like a promotional agency, yeah. if we're, again, going back to being proactive, right? And, and that is my mantra to all our salespeople is, is never be reactive because then you're going to be in a bid war and it's going to be just a price point and it, it's a kind of a losing situation. Yeah. But if you have a good idea and you can present it early and know the client that you're working with and knowing the product or service that they're presenting and get ahead of it and work as like an arm to their marketing or publicity or whatever department that you think is worthwhile to, that needs a promotional item, they'll protect you. Yeah. I, I rarely, rarely see somebody say, oh, thanks for the great idea. Now we're going to go show it to two other distributors. So that is a rare instance in our case. Maybe it's the entertainment industry, but we don't run up against that too often. Oh, I think it's because come, you're coming up with proprietary ideas, and in some ways, you're really doing their job for them. Because by being yes. proactive, you're coming to them and solving a problem that they may not have even thought about having because they have other things going on in their day. Now suddenly you come to them with a solution for an upcoming movie, and they're like, wow, this takes a great burden off of my shoulders. And you know, you've clearly built up the trust and respect, and I think your advice is well taken in terms of trying not to just sell the basics all the time. Yeah, I think just reflecting on my distributor experience over the last several years, and I, I, I really, I agree with you, Greg. I think that if you're able to go to a client and with a solution that's going to make them money or make them look good in front of their boss, then you're an extension of their company. I think that you really want to be in that category as opposed to the category of, oh, I just need to buy staplers or <laughs> office supplies and ergo, I'll just go and buy it from the cheapest supplier. So I think that positioning yourself more in the former, I think, will always will always end up protecting you. And, I, and I, I'm guessing in your business where you're not selling out of a Norwood or Leeds catalog as much as you are literally creating the product from scratch and you might be sourcing it from global vendors that it's much more difficult to rip off. So I'm sure that some of these, some of these clients will say, all right, well, this, this is unique. This is a clean, fun idea. If we can afford it, we'll buy it from them. If not, then we'll look for something else. Yes, right. I mean, don't get us wrong. We, we, we do buy catalog stock items. Sure that apply to a particular need. But our strength and the reason why we've, we've been around for so long is that we're always presenting creative, interesting, new, and unique ideas. And, yeah. and I think Larry's company is the same. You won't survive if you're, you're just not playing outside the um, supplier catalog. You have to look at doing something interesting. And the suppliers that are out there will help you. Yeah. 
Greg, one other thing before, I know we're going to get to Delivery Agent in a minute. I know that one of your successes besides having seven creatives is that I know just from talking to you that you've had people that have been with you for a, a long time and they're loyal and you know, you've built a great culture as well out there. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Maybe I know this is a podcast, but I know you also have a very interesting office and desk set up and everything like that. Maybe you can give everybody a little visual of what your what your office is like, a little bit about how the how you've built your culture and your thoughts on culture. Well, I think that I've discovered something that that I could share with everyone that has worked. I mean, and I'm saying it's worked year and year and year and year. It's for decades. So, what I'm about to say is really interesting. I think because it does talk about the loyalty. And then I will talk about my offices because I, you know, spend most of my day there. So I invested heavily into the creative and the look and the feel. But the thing that I want to share with everyone that I discovered, and I can take you through my 20 top account executives, they all started, every one of them, or I say, of the 20, 17 of the 20, has started as an assistant. Hmm as a assistant for a account executive. And it started with me. I'm, I guess I'm the host of one. My top salesperson was my secretary, and she's celebrating her 20th year with Clean Fund. So together, we kind of had a style, and maybe it was my style. And she learned, and we got a account for her, and she went off on her own. And, and then I got a new secretary, or new assistant, and she then went off on her own. And then the first person that I hired got an assistant, and she then got that person off on their own. And so what we've created here at Clean Fund is we're bringing people in to learn the business from the ground up. And that's kind of how I learned it, too. You know, I never thought I was going to really get into this business. And by being an assistant and going through the production side and seeing the, the stresses of, of getting a job done and going into the warehouse and packing something that needs to go out that day, visiting the suppliers that we're working with, going to the trade shows with their top account executive and learning the business from the ground up have really resonated that the people love the business that stay and then they're making more money than they ever anticipated when they came in and they've been extremely, extremely loyal at Clean Fund. And I've rewarded them very well with a good compensation plan and space that we kind of did from the ground up. Our space looks more like a probably a New York loft in Soho, where you are, Larry, where we um, have garage doors that open up to offices, and all our floors are polished siding of wood that I got at Home Depot and polished cement and 1960s doors that we found, and we popped out a lot of skylights, so there's lots of natural light and high ceilings and just really unique, interesting space that people want to come into every day. And have you found, I think I know the answer to this question, it's a little bit like the investment in creative that I asked before, but clearly you found a connection between business success, performance, and profitability, and a big investment in culture and office space and design. Had you always been like this, Greg, in terms of making that connection between the two? And the reason I ask is someone listening to this podcast that is growing their business and they're struggling to meet payroll and they hear this podcast with Greg Washer who's saying that creative is great and culture is great and they're going, I can't even meet payroll, let alone pay for a nice office space. How did you get from nothing or from the very beginning to this place where those investments made incredible business sense for you? 
Yeah, it does sound a little conceited, doesn't it? <laughs> so no. for the person that's struggling out there, again, I'm going to go back to you, you can outsource these resources that I'm talking about in the creative, and it really is finding suppliers that you get to know and, and they get to know you that want to help you. And, and some of the larger suppliers and even medium-sized suppliers have a great art department inside them that can utilize. And, and don't be afraid of getting your suppliers on the phone with your client as an extension of your business. I'm, I'm sure you do this too, Larry, is that you know, why not get your supplier who won't go direct to your client and get them on the phone to talk about the relationship between their objective and the product ideas that can come from it. I don't Absolutely. think that people um, are utilizing the suppliers out there in the ASI world to get them connected to your client. That's a great point. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. And I think interestingly enough, I think you know our company has also grown a lot over the last ten plus years. And really, everybody who comes in here starts at the same level that Greg was discussing. They all start off as an assistant for somebody's team because they kind of learn in the trenches. And it's you know it's not good enough to know that you can go out and sell somebody on something. You actually have to understand the process that goes into how things are manufactured and how to anticipate problems. And the only way to do that is to really live in the trenches for an extended period of time so that you actually do have some perspective. So I think that's great advice because we have found it to be the exact same thing. And I think one of the challenges that we have had is, is trying to onboard people who do this as a second or third career and they don't necessarily want to start off as an assistant for somebody. And they have a concept of how complicated some of these orders can be because it seems so simple on the surface sometimes. Right, and then you bring in that person that is in their second or third career shift, and you bring them in at a senior level expecting them to bring in big business because of their network, but then they're not really as connected or as interested in the product because they've come from a completely different industry. You hear stories of that all the time where someone who's 40 years old that is expecting a nice salary and they come in and you give it to them, but then they don't produce because they're not interested in the difference between an American Apparel tri-blend and a Gildan 2000. Right. So right. I think that <laughs> and ultimately at the end of the day, whether it's creative product or you know something right out of a catalog, it's still product that needs to fit into your what your client is looking to achieve. And I think you know what we don't do is brain surgery, but it's a lot more difficult than you know a lot of people, even our clients, many times realize. Yeah, that's great advice. Why don't we shift gears here a little bit to get on to another topic, which is, Greg, your your new career, shall we say, if you want to define it as such. As mentioned in the introduction, last year you sold Clean Fun to a larger company called Delivery Agent. Do you want to tell people a little bit more about the background behind that company? It sounds really, really interesting and in how now you fit into their world and what you see the next five years looking like for you. Yeah, Delivery Agent is just a really interesting amazing company because of their cutting edge technology and the way the world is, is changing and I'll get on this in a second but kind of how it happened was clean fun obviously has been very well involved in the entertainment industry and delivery agent was getting traction in an area that we were not which is in the consumer product side of the entertainment industry so delivery agent runs the stores for companies like NBC CBS Fox FX Discovery, Food Network, I mean, if you go to deliveryagent.com, you can see the client base. It's pretty amazing. So we were becoming a vendor for Delivery Agent making entertainment product that they were selling on the stores. So when I say stores, if you went to, say, NBC.com or Fox.com, and all of a sudden you get all the Fox content or NBC content, and on the upper side you'll see shop or store, and when you hit that, Delivery Agent runs that part of this website for these entertainment clients. 
So hmm. what I mean by that, they take the inventory, they create the product, or buy the, from licensees, and they ship it out and do a revenue share with the entertainment company. And so what we were doing, and maybe you too, Larry, if, I think was also selling, you're still maybe still selling to the delivery agent, they would call on companies to help them create product for their many, many different stores. So we became a very big vendor for them. And I had a great relationship with the founder and CEO, really liked the guy, still do. And as we got talking and his growth plans, obviously owning a, what I would say, product development and merchandising company worked very, very well into their, their growth plans. And one of the things that they did, which is very interesting to me, is they got an investment from Samsung and Intel to be a part of smart televisions. And what smart TVs are, basically it's most of the TVs that you can buy today are connected to the Wi-Fi that's running through your home or business or wherever you put in your television. So your TVs are picking up on the internet connection and you can, one, you know, stream a Netflix, which is a changing landscape for entertainment. There you have shows like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, but also through technology that you probably know on your iPhone called Shazam, there's voice and, and if you hit Shazam, you'll see now on your phone there's television recognition. So hmm. There's in these TVs, they can know what you're watching, when you're watching, and so the new shift is when you're watching television, we know what you're watching, and we can present ideas for you to either buy product that's interesting or advertise from the shows or from the commercials that you're watching. So it can be as simple as a commercial that we ran, which H&M over Super Bowl, where David Beckham was introducing a new underwear line, and when that came up on a smart TV, it was, do you want more information about this underwear? Do you want to see David Beckham in more shots? And there's more commerce and there's going to be more commerce coming on from television. So there's a huge amount of interest from Wall Street on this type of technology and this type of shift and the way viewers are going to look at television. And that's why Delivery Agent is trying to go public to raise money to, to really enhance this new shift in, in the way that people are going to be watching television. I hope I made sense there. Yeah, that's it's fascinating. So part of what you're doing is still coming up with cool t-shirt ideas for the office and community and shows like that on say nbc.com but you're obviously involved in the management side of delivery agent in terms of what you're doing day to day now how have you translated your promotional marketing experience into this world of technology and product delivery over the web well if you have a samsung television for example which is a smart tv running next to Netflix, there's an icon called Shop TV. So delivery agent owns this Shop TV, hmm. and so you can hit that, and you can see product that is from television. So my interests are to look at you know what could uh, be sold from a fan. So next week, for example, is the finale for Game of Thrones. We're if we were a little bit further out, we would be working with HBO on what is going to be maybe shown on that last episode, and then be ready to have that particular product or idea contextual that during the show or after the show that somebody might want to buy that particular item. So it's a, definitely a moving landscape, but I'm being more and more put in front of what television shows are of interest and what can we get to the fan base of those television shows. So they'll be able to buy it right from their TV. They can buy it online. They can buy it from their iPhone. So you're really touching the consumer in sort of where they live almost their entire life when they're not sleeping. 
Yeah, and again, going back to that Shazam example, not just buying product, if they're watching a, uh, a show and it, there's a Porsche going by, we can put in the local Porsche dealership, put an ad, you know, do you want to test drive this car? And they can engage in their second device and or their television. So there's a lot of pushing that can happen from television, which is a little big brother-ish. And you can't turn it off, but I have three children, and they watch television a lot differently than I do. They are watching television, and they're on their second device, and they want to be engaged in multiple platforms when they watch television. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this idea of it being a noisy experience, which, of course, you could turn off, but I think there's a lot of people that embrace that, right? And and whether your kids are tweeting their friends to talk about what's going on in Game of Thrones or whatever the case may be, like that background noise is now becoming really part of the mainstream. I think what's interesting what you're talking about, Greg, is that certainly a theme that we've mined on this podcast over the last couple of years is the two different ways that an end user typically views our industry. One way is, I love this stuff. It's fantastic. I've got a strong emotional connection with such and such a brand because of this awesome t-shirt I got, and I love the products that I get. And then there's a whole other group of people that view it as trinkets and trash. I ran into a guy the other day who called it shrapnel. Uh, which I hadn't heard that before, but just, and so I thought that was interesting. He said, oh, you're in the shrapnel business. And, uh, but you, you know, in the governments that are coming and cracking down on this. And what I love about what you're doing now is that if I'm watching Game of Thrones and I absolutely love something that I've seen on the show that's merchandise related, then it, it's such a good thing for our industry because it's positive, right? Like I am going to buy that shirt for 30 bucks and, I'm going to wear it with pride, and, and it's such a great reinforcement of what we do here, and it's so far away from the crap that other people are selling to an end user that's not really aligned to any particular business objective, and it ends up in the trash, and so good on you for that, because I think it's, it, it's bringing this industry to a whole other level. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's so many examples of product that people want to wear because they identify with the product that they're using or interested in. So everybody has a favorite show, right? So House of Cards is a show that I devoured pretty quickly, and, and we happened, obviously, to run the Netflix store in House of Cards. And so I wore a Freddy's Barbecue um, <laughs> shirt. And those who know House of Cards, and, and the Freddy's Barbecue is a meeting place where Francis Underwood, or Frank Underwood, would you know meet undercover, or he just had this love for these barbecues, ribs that was from Frankie's barbecue. And so when I wore that shirt up, it didn't say House of Cards, but it advertised the show, and people got it who knew the show. We're doing a Father's Day promotion right now where we're going to sell Fu cufflinks, uh, which are from the show, which has a double meaning, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and think of the trackability as well, right? <laughs> you know, you you've got a product where you're now able to track intent and you're able to track a customer's desire for something in a way that this industry we've historically never really been able to do, right? You know, you produce a bunch of t-shirts for NBC or whoever the end user is, they hand them out to their customers and then they go off and, and then they do their thing. Whereas here you've got a whole set of data that normally we are not accustomed to in this industry. So I, I just think it's fascinating. So absolutely. I mean, I'd probably wear a Starbucks shirt too, though. You know, it doesn't have to be entertainment. I'm, you know, a Starbucks fan. You know, somebody might wear Pete's. Somebody might wear, you know, something that's more local. You know, we all identify with products, and hopefully, you know, we we're promoting our clients' products that people identify with and and want to wear or want to use. 
One of the other things you mentioned earlier, which I thought was also interesting, it seems like your job, even though it's only been a short period of time, is already morphing into other fascinating areas where you're actually taking some of your clients' merchandise and some of their content and now trying to move it into the retail arena. And that, I think that's also kind of a fascinating offshoot that it's, you know, you've gone from promotional to online marketing and then, you know, back out to the brick and mortar stores as well. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's new for me, which is kind of exciting. So I've been, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So it's nice to have a new set of goals and, and getting excited about doing something like opening an account with Hot Topic that day when they approved us as a vendor. I was really excited. I was really happy. And there was a TV show called Bates Motel that hit their audience. And we got some Bates Motel product in Hot Topic. And it was, a, you know, I can tell you it was a really great day. We're working on something in, in October for Home Shopping Network, and you know I'm really excited about that prospect. So it's nice to have new clients to get your creativity going again. I mean, having the same client over and over can be, a, I guess, a little bit of boredom. So having new clients with ad specialty business or and or if I'm going into retail is really important to me. Greg, I'm just uh, taking a look at the time here, and we uh, we probably have time for maybe one or two questions here, and then obviously at the end we would like to leave you with the last word. But I know I've I've got a bunch more questions I'd love to ask, which means we probably need to do a version two at some point. But I think for me, it, it's a continuation of what you just said in terms of the evolution of your career and how you have been able to stay engaged and interested in your job for the last twenty. 25 plus years, I think is really interesting. And so my question to you is for the, for the person who's listening to this that has been selling ad specialties or promotional products for 10, 15, 20 plus years, whether they're an account executive or whether they're an owner, what experience do you have to share in terms of how you have been able to keep things interesting and new and different as opposed to the guy who just shows up in each and every day and his business grows 1% a year and he sells to the same clients and you're just kind of mailing it in like how have you kept it interesting and light for 25 plus years well i think i'm interested in product i like to look at great things so i'm always looking at stores and going into shopping malls traveling the world you know i met larry in hong kong of, hmm. of all things and and uh, we were out there sourcing in in asia together i'm and always drinking Yes, yeah, yeah. I think I think I didn't say that part, but we we had a good time. We had a good time, and and I think that's important. A good time is really enjoying the process, and if you're not enjoying the process, this may not be the industry for you, right? Yeah, because good point. I really I really enjoy the concept to product. If you're not excited about getting something to your client that you an idea that you came up with, it's going to be difficult to stay in this business a long time. I really do get excited about the challenges of creating something from nothing. Yeah. And I like going into seeing what other people have done in all different industries, whether it's clothing or whether it's the sporting industry or whether it's cars, furniture, packaging. I always look at it and I marvel at the creativity that's out in this world. So we take from it, right? I love art. I love looking at, at art, and so I think that translates to the type of space that we have in Clean Fun, and I think it translates to keeping it light. We always are pressing on what's the newest and greatest thing that we can do. Yeah. Sometimes it's so stressful, though, right? And everybody knows it because you, you push the envelope, and it can keep you up. But when you pull it off and you pull it off well, there's not a better feeling. 
Larry, do you uh, do you have another question in you before no, we give? I'll, uh, I, know you Greg... whole, I know you got a whole list of yours, so I'll, I'll defer my final question to you. Uh, wh- why don't we Why don't we turn it over? Because we, we we said to Greg that we'd try to honor the forty five minutes, and, and you know, <laughs> Gr- Greg is right now is standing outside of a car dealership, you know, just about to buy a car for those people that are you know interested. So he's really committed to this podcast, but we want to want to make sure that he can move on. Greg, anything that you want to last bits of wisdom and experience that you'd like to impart before we let you go? There are times I I thought I wasn't going to be in this business, and I think we all may have gone through that because it's not a glamorous job. We're making other people look good, and and we're in the trenches all the time packing and, and you know driving quickly to get the stuff for an event or some type of party or convention or what have you. So we, we've all been there where we're going, oh my God, isn't there an easier way to do a your <laughs> business? Yep. Right? And and so there are going to be times where you're you're frustrated and we do make mistakes. And it, I guess this is a quote that somebody quoted me and I have it in my office. It's like, you know, the worst mistake I can have in the especially business is thinking that this will be my last mistake. So we will be, we will make mistakes, and suppliers will screw up, and and we will, you know, have egg on our face, and it's a matter of just having that confidence that you're doing your best work, and you're doing the hardest that you can do, and and you can move on. It's very very difficult sometimes to be in this business as long as I have without having a bad day, mm. and so my parting words to everyone: Yeah, we're going to all have bad days in that specialty business, but if you're true to your client and you're honest, and that's the best thing. Be do not shut it up. You know, tell them what's going on. Tell them the problems. They may get mad at you, but they'll respect you in the end because you will do your best work. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So inspiring for sure. The other side of it is this business can, can be very, very profitable. So make the money that you can and, and invest it back into the business, and you will have something that you can share for a long, long time. I've been in it 25, 27 years. I didn't take every penny out of it. And I invested back into it, into the creative and to the workspace and other people, the, the assistants, as we talked about, as Larry has also done. And I've created something that was very, very valuable. And somebody like delivery agent saw that. And so I was very fortunate to sell it in September. But now I'm, I'm doing everything I've always wanted to do without the risk. So I'm very, very pleased. I'm not going away from this business. I'm not retiring. I'm not, I'm not that type of person. Yeah, there's so many things that we've covered in this podcast. I think the things that resonate with me, Greg, is this commitment on your part to really investing in people and in culture and and creative services and all these things that in many ways distance you from the product. And I know that might sound a bit funny, but you're elevating the product, you're elevating your company and and everything you're doing for the client is now so much more than just you know, the hair gel that you're producing for the something about married people. And I think that in all the time that, that I've spoken to people in this industry, it feels to me that one of the central struggles is how do I move and graduate beyond the product? Because that's where I'm finding I'm, I'm getting myself stuck. And I think that the key lessons that I've taken from this podcast, and I think other people will be, is this process that you can go through to invest in your company to create this value outside of yourself and outside of just product. And that's where you can command a premium if you decide to sell your business, which, of course, you did last year, and that's obviously worked out well for you. And the one thing I take away, and I think it's, uh, it resonates with me a lot, is really the passion that you bring to it. And I think 
you know, the one thing that you mentioned, and I kind of believe it also, is that it, it's not what you see every day in the catalogs we have here in the office. It's, it's being observant as you're walking around the world, because that's yeah. where you get a lot of your inspiration from. It could be shopping in a, in a mall or walking in a car dealership and seeing something, whether it's a, a color or a packaging or an item, or you're shopping online, and keeping your mind open to those items, because everything out there relates to a client in some way or another. It's just figuring out how to make those items relate, and I think... You know, it's not turning off. You don't want to be at work all the time, but leaving your mind open to the creativity that's kind of surrounds you at all time. And it sounds like you've done a great job, you know, taking what your passion is and building a an office that reflects it and finding the clients that also allow you to do what you like to do. So, and I think that's also another piece, which is if you're passionate about something, find clients that let you be passionate in your job, which I think you've done a great job of. Well, I'm all charged for the rest of the day here. Uh, you know, East Coast, it's the afternoon. Greg, I know it's still in the morning for you, but thank you so much on, on certainly on behalf of the entire Promo Kitchen community and uh, Larry and myself. We really hope to have the opportunity to do this again. And uh, thank you so much for all your time. Sure. Come out and visit me, Mark. And you say you haven't been to California in a while. I, I'll be there. I'll be there at SAC in August. Let's have lunch. All right. Good. All <laughs> Thanks right. so much, man. Larry, I'll see you in New York. Okay. See Great. You. Bye. Good luck with the car. Take care.